What does God desire of me? If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 21, beginning with the 28th verse. Matthew 21, beginning with the 28th verse. What does God require of me? You know, the early reformers, uh, that of Luther, Calvin, and many others, uh, took this approach. They said there were three basic things that God desires of us, that we need to come to the place, uh, particularly the third one, where we can really encounter God. And the first one was a term, and these are Latin terms, uh, noticia. Noticia, it's a Latin for knowledge. And what it uh, conveys is the basic understanding, the basic content. So if we're talking about our faith, we're talking about the basic content that man is a sinner, that God is perfect, and that there needed to be a way by which man could connect to God, uh, where he could come into relationship with God, and that was through the person of Jesus Christ. So there would be a basic content that had to occur. Secondly would be this. It would be the, the, a word called ascensus. And uh, ascensus simply means this. It means adherence to or acceptance of an idea. So in other words, uh, let's just use this illustration for a moment. I, I don't drive a, a Ford truck, but we'll just use this for an for sake of argument. Let's just pretend that Ford truck is the best truck on the road in America today. Let's just pretend like that was true. And uh, you did the research. You found that out. And then you also uh, came to the place where you decided, you, you know, I'm going to buy one. You tell people you're going to buy one. You go and you apply for a loan. You're approved. Uh, and in theory, this is something you're going to do. But you haven't actually done it. Okay? That's what a, a census would be. Okay? So it would be the theory in practice, you're, excuse me, in theory, you're going to do this. You know it to be true. You say you're going to do it, and you say it's true. But then there's the third part. It's called fiducia, and you've heard that term before probably. Uh, it's a Latin term, and it simply means that it means trust, or for our usage, faith. Uh, faith, trust. It's, the, uh, it's not the theoretical, it's the practical. It's not that I, I know the facts, and then I say that they are true. It's the embracing it. It's the practical living it out. It's the James 1. Uh, I embrace it and I actually do it. I don't just talk about it. I don't just talk about giving life, my Christ my life. I don't just talk about, well, I know the gospel and I know the story and that's something I certainly can do and I know how and I'm going to do that one day. It's the actual doing it. And that's what the early reformers uh, would have said that God desires of us. And if we only find ourselves in the first two, we become kind of like this person. It's kind of like the person who was raised in church, this chair right here. Uh, it was kind of the people who grew up in church. I know the stories. I've heard it all before. And I have all the knowledge. I know, I know a lot. You're probably not going to teach me anything today, by the way. I know that story. You know that parable you're reading? I've heard that before. And I know how it ends. And I, I know when to take communion. I know when to stand. I know when to sit. I know when to pray. I know what time church starts. I show up. I get a good parking spot. I, I know all the stuff. And I have the label. I even have a Christian T-shirt at home. Uh, so I, I know all the stuff. Chair one. I've been raised and I was born nine months before I was born. I was coming to church. Uh, I know it all right here. There's chair number two. And not only do I know it, but, um, you know, I, I actually faithfully attend church. Uh, I actually um, try to help out a little bit. 
Uh, I, I take communion a lot. It, it does bother me that sometimes you don't do it here. Uh, and, or, and, or, or maybe, you're, I, you know, I grew up and I think you do it too much. And you're really hurting communion right now. And, uh, and, and I know all this stuff about way, the way church is supposed to be, what's supposed to be done. And I talk about it. And I tell people that I'm a Christian and I attend that church over there. And that I do things and I help out. And, um, I, 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 and not only that, I, I really love people. And I will tell you that. Uh, and I will tell you whatever you need to know in Christianese even. And I'm very fluent in Christianese, by the way. And uh, so this is my chair right here. Uh, as far as having a real encounter with God that it transformed my life, well, I've just always been this way and I always, I've known it. And uh, I can tell other people what to do, too, by the way. I'm very good at that. Uh, so these are my two chairs here. Then there's my third chair over here. It's not just knowledge. It's not just the theory, and I give assent to it. It's the fiducia. It's the practice. At some point in my life, I may not even been raised in church. I may not have been in church most of my life. But when I heard the message of Christ... I came to what I call a crisis of belief. I I made a decision. Maybe I did go to church all my life. But there was some point where I came to a crisis of belief where I said, you know what? This is the faith that I choose. I choose it for myself, not because my parents always took me to church, not because it's something you're supposed to do, uh, not because I show up and I think I'm getting brownie points in heaven. Uh, I mean, I had a real encounter with God. I heard that message, and for a long time, maybe I was away and maybe I just played games, or maybe I didn't go to church at all. Maybe I just didn't even know Christ. But when I heard the message, I heard it and I embraced it. It's real. It's true. And I'm not perfect. I still sin a whole bunch. But I can tell you what, I'm not the same. I have a new heart. God has changed my heart. And I don't know everything, and there are a lot of people that know a lot more. But God did something in my life. I encountered him in a real way, and it's not just something I say I did. I, it's something I, I, I attempt to do every day, because not because I'm trying to be good, because the Spirit of God is burning within me. And I'm convicted when I sin. And this is who I choose to be and who I choose to follow. Three chairs. Which chair are you? Jesus is speaking here. He's continuing on and sharing some parables here speaking to those who interpret the Bible for that day and who tell people how they're supposed to live. And Jesus is what I call deconstructing their religion in some sense. Verse 28, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first son and said, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and said to him the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? Jesus asked this question, and he does that so many times. I mean, it's a real pretty easy answer. You know, you're, you're just playing dumb if you miss this one. And um, he asked them, the Pharisees, you already asked them in you know, verses 24 and 25 if they affirm the ministry of John the Baptist. And they go, uh, we don't know. And so Jesus asked it in another way here. And he said, well, you know, you have two sons that come. First one says no, but then he decides to go. Second one said yes, he never goes in the vineyard, never helps, never makes any impact. Which one do you think did the Father's will? Uh, The first one? Okay, the first one. All right, we all got that one right. 
And then Jesus makes this scathing remark. Yeah, you've got me to answer the question. And then Jesus says this, continuing in verse 31. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Woo! You know what he just said here? If you were a Jew, and particularly if you were an Orthodox Jew, you're trying to abide by the law, there are a couple of classes of people that you just don't want anything to do with. If you're a good nationalistic Jew, number one would be the prostitutes. Now, everybody knows that, you know, that's a sin. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 8, they tried to, they said, you know, Moses says, just kill them when they do this. We don't know where that man is, but let's kill this woman. And uh, so we know how that story ends, how that story plays out. And so there was definitely great disdain. Now, the truth of it is there were a lot of women that were prostitutes. Because you, you know why? Here's why a lot of women became prostitutes, because their husband died and they couldn't financially afford it. Because if you remember, 80 to 90 percent of all people at this point are subsistence farmers. They're basically uh, just making it day to day. And when the man dies, and particularly if you had young children, there weren't a whole lot of ways. And what would happen is the family wouldn't be uh, taking care of them. The family would not be uh, providing for them for whatever reason. Or uh, the husband had divorced the wife, and Jesus had some harsh things to say about this, and they weren't fulfilling their obligations that Moses had given for them to care for their wife and the family. They had chosen, there are a number of different reasons they came up with why they didn't have to do that. So women would find themselves in prostitution. So it wasn't all that they were just loose. Sometimes it was to feed their kids. So it's good for us to remember that. But, you know, in the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, the religious uh, authorities of this day, it didn't really matter. It didn't matter what your purpose is. This is what you're doing. You're the lowest of the low. This is as bad as it gets. Except for there's one other group that we maybe, we, we actually hate them. We just despise you and think you're dirt. But let me tell you who we really hate. We hate the tax collectors. Now, this isn't the IRS, not that you get excited about them either today, but this isn't the IRS, and, and, and isn't it ironic what today is? Uh, these are the tax collectors, and what they are, <clears throat> they're in cahoots with the Roman government, and the Roman government is in authority, uh, for a lack of a better term, this is not the exact term, but for lack of a better term, you know, Judea is and Israel is a vassal state, and they basically are having to pay taxes to the Roman government. And what they would do is pretty shrewd of them. What they'd usually do is they would find their own countrymen to go and collect it because they would know who all the people are. They would know who lived in that city, in that area. And they would hire them. And then they were, uh, matter of fact, they were expected, and the way they were paid was to take a cut uh, out of that, which the people wouldn't even know what that cut was. And they could take that cut and take more if they wanted to as long as the Romans got what they were supposed to get. And so in a sense, what you've done is not only are you working for our so-called enemy, now you're stealing from us too. You're taking from it. You're working with them, and then you're also on top of that taking from us. There's nobody that we hate more. And Jesus just said, they're going to get to heaven before you do. My goodness, what are you talking about? What is going on here? Jesus goes on. He's not finished. Jesus says, John came, we know this in verse 24 and 25, as we talked about earlier, John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. 
John shared this with you, and the tax collectors and the prostitutes have heard that message, and many of them repented. Remember John's message? He was preaching a gospel of repentance, and many of them repented. Many of them determined that, hey, that's true. I mean, we may not have been raised in church, or maybe we haven't been there in a long time. We've been away for a long time, but that's true. And we're not perfect, but Lord, we're going to ascribe to you. And they've done that. And Jesus is saying, you know what? There are a lot of you sitting over here in these two chairs. And you may know a lot of stuff. You may know a lot of stories. And you may be able to pray at the right time, raise your hand at the right time, write things down, know the hymns, show people where to look up scriptures in their Bible, in their Bible but... Let me tell you something. Uh, that's You've kind of bought into a culture. You've bought into a religion. You see, I'm preaching a gospel of repentance. And it requires that you confess that I am Lord and that you recognize that you're a sinner and that you repent and that you give me control of your life. I'm not really interested in the little rules that you've come up with. And that's all real good that you know the rituals. And that's great. I'm glad you participate in Passover slash communion for us. I think you're fooling yourself. Matter of fact, I would say that those guys over there, I know they just got out of the penitentiary. But see, they, they gave me their life. And right now they're going into the vineyard. Right now they're trying to make an impact. And they're not talking about it. They're not claiming about their knowledge. Something's happened in their life. That's what I'm telling you. You see right here, we see the request. That the two sons. First of all, what was the request? Will you go into the vineyard? And I believe that that's a compelling question for us today. Will you go into the vineyard? Will you go? I'm not talking about will you go to church. I'm not talking about uh, will you do something. I'm saying have you come to the place where God has called you and he is sending you out. And you say, God, whatever you say, I'm willing to go. I will trust you. I will take that step. Padusha. I will trust. I will go in faith. So we see the request, the responses, and really the results actually go together. Response where the first guy came and said, nope, I'm not going. Maybe the first time you heard the gospel, you said no. Maybe for a long time you said no. And one day, the Spirit of God just came upon you and convicted you. Or maybe you're the other side. Yes, I'll go into the vineyard. Father, I'll do whatever you ask me to. And then you realized, well, you know, those prostitutes are over there. And not only prostitutes, there's tax gathering. I'm not going in there. I already know the truth. I don't have to do anything. I'm fine right here. I'm going to stay at church. As a matter of fact, I think I'll go to church right now. It's closed, but I'll just go sit in there. Because I'm pretty holy. And it'll probably make me more holy. And people will see my car at church now that I think about it. Maybe I'll just park my car there and... And leave and leave my car parked there. You know, whatever it is that you think makes you more godly appearing. And yet you never go into the vineyard. You never let your faith impact others' lives. It never really impacted your life other than culturally. The realities are this. Verse 31-32, Jesus uh, very clearly 
says, I tell you the truth that tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness and you do not believe in him. But tax collectors and prostitutes did. You see, they heard the message and they received it and their lives were changed. And you saw that. You saw that there was something different about them. You saw that they changed their ways. And even after you saw this, Jesus said, you didn't repent and believe. Even after you saw the transformation, even though you knew that the prophecies were being fulfilled, at least on some level, you didn't repent. You didn't believe. What does God desire of us today? Well, we know some of the things that God hates. And they were doing some of the things that God hates, according to Proverbs 6.16 and the following verses. Pride, lying, injustice, exploitation of the meek, addictive behavior, perjury, one who destroys the peace. In Micah 6.8, the Scripture tells us that this is what God requires for us to promote justice, to show mercy and kindness, and to live humbly before your God. And Jesus summed it up in in just two verses in the New Testament. And they said, what's most important? He said, well, the first is this, to love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love God with all that you are. And second is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what I want you to do. That's what I desire of you. How do I get a heart like that? How does the fiducia occur? The, oh, the reformers call it the unction of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. When we are faithful, when we seek the heart of God, and sometimes you hear the term anointing come upon. And sometimes that's a little misused, but what it means is the Spirit of God, the unction, the power of the Spirit comes upon you. And, and it's really accessible. Let me just say this. That's for everybody, according to First John. So it's not like some get it and some don't. Um, I'm eligible. Sorry, you're not. Maybe after you learn some more verses, you could get some of it. Once we really accept Christ, once we allow the transformation, God wants to use you. The Spirit comes upon us. And here's some things that I believe we'll begin to notice in the way that we can cultivate and make the ground fallow in our hearts so that the Spirit may come with power upon us. Number one, and I get this from James Fury. He, he wrote this and I rewrote it. But uh, number one, a quiet heart. A quiet heart. The Bible tells us in Psalms 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. The Bible tells us in Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is with you and He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you and He will quiet you with His love. A quiet heart. Do you take a time each day to just be still before God and listen? Can I tell you this? Prayer is more than you babbling. That's usually what we're doing. Let's just be frank. Uh, when we're talking a lot, I mean, and, and I'm not saying that there's a lot of good intercessory prayer, but a lot of times we get in this little list of things, God, I want you to do and I need from you. But do you listen? Are you still before him? After you read scripture, do you listen? Do you take time to have a quiet heart? Number two, a circumcised heart. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 10:16, as Moses was giving the word to his people, he says, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff necked any longer. Circumcise, cut away the junk. Out of your heart. Some of you are, are, are in addictions. You're addicted to some type of substance. Or maybe it's some kind of material. And God says you're going to have to cut that away. 
You're going to have to circumcise that. Jeremiah 4.4 talks about it. We see Paul talking about it. The importance of our heart being circumcised. It's not that you don't know Christ. It's that you're allowing Christ to be crowded out by other things. By materialism. By getting ahead. By money. By It could be alcohol. It could be pornography. Whatever it is. And you're just pretending like it's not that big a deal. Like it, I've got control of this. It's God and I got an agreement. No, God, you don't have an agreement. You're making up your own religion. You may have it with some other God. God says, circumcise your heart. And if you need counseling, let's get counseling. If you need accountability, let's get accountability. If you need prayer, whatever it is you need, deal with it. Take that step. The Bible tells us in James chapter 5, confess your faults one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Number three, a passionate heart. Luke 24, 32 and while they were walking with Jesus, they were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. A passionate heart, one that worships, one that brings praise, one that brings passion, feeding that passion. And there's no better way to feed that passion through the act of worship, through the act of bringing God glory, through sharing of his good news and love. And number four, a giving heart. Second Corinthians 9, 7 tells us God loveth a cheerful heart. And certainly, part of that is giving financially. But he's not just talking about financial giving here. He's talking about giving of yourself. Let me ask you this. How are you investing in the kingdom of God today? And can I tell you this? It probably shouldn't just be one way. How are you investing your life in the kingdom of God today? God loves a giving heart. Giving of your time, of your service. When he's talking about the vineyard right now, are you one of those people that say, I go to church, I learn stuff, I know stuff, I can tell people stuff. Uh, yes, I'll help. And I never do anything. I never go into the vineyard. I never go into the world. I never serve here. I just learn stuff. I just keep feeding myself more information. And I have, the, uh, I have all the knowledge. And I'm learning more. And I know that. And it makes me very proud when I can answer questions when someone asks. And Jesus says, whoop de doo You missed it. I'd rather have the person over here who doesn't know anything, who the only verse they know is John 3.16, and they can't even get it right, but I, that they're willing to go into the vineyard. What about you this morning? What kind of heart do you have? What chair are you sitting in this morning? What chair represents you? In our lives today, there are different things that we have. And uh, Tim Sanders gave this illustration in his book. He said, you know, there are things in life that are rubber. When they hit the ground, when we drop them, they just kind of bounce back. No big deal. I dropped the ball. No big deal. I missed a game on TV. I missed one of my shows. I missed a sporting event, you know, uh, I got a ding in my car, whatever it is, kid scratched the furniture, big deal, just bounces right back, it's rubber. If you let it affect your life, shame on you, it's just not that important. Then there are things in our life that are made of metal, metal, when you drop it, it makes a loud clanging noise. And it's kind of disturbing. You know, I miss a meeting at work. 
I wrecked my car. I didn't get a pay raise. I'm having to get a smaller house or a smaller car. I ran out of money this month. And it makes a big clang. But you know what? You're going to get over it. You're going to be okay. It's not going to kill you. It doesn't have to defeat you. It may rattle and make a lot of noise. You're not making enough money. Whatever it is, it's clanging. But then there are things that are made of glass. I'm not going to break this. But uh, if I were to drop this, literally it would break into hundreds of pieces. It would have those little grains. And, and I could try and maybe even get an expert to try to put it back together. And I may get it better. I might get, get it back to its original state to some sense. But it will never be right. You know what I mean? It never looked like this again. I wouldn't really want to even drink out of it. I wouldn't like you wouldn't want to be served out of this glass later on after it had been broken into a thousand pieces. But um, I don't I don't want to drop this. Some of us we don't want to drop it, but what we do is okay. Well, I'll just put it over there to the side right now. That's maybe my marriage. It's not a piece you want to drop. My family, my children, my relationship with Christ. And let's just talk about that for a moment. My relationship with Christ. You're saying, you know, I believe all that to be true. I know the stories and I know. And, you know, one day I'm going to get to this sitting right there. I haven't got to it yet. You know the problem with it sitting in that chair? Is one day it's going to get knocked off. Or it's going to get pushed to the back and you're going to forget about it. Can I tell you, your relationship with God is glass. And God is asking you a question today. Which son are you? Sitting right here? You know the stuff? You know all about it? You tell people about it? Maybe you don't know the stuff. Maybe you do. But God, I'll let you use me. I know I'm not better than anybody. But the one thing I do know is I want to know you. And I want to make a difference. I want to make an impact. I want to go into the vineyard. What about you this morning? Ever been in the vineyard? I'm not asking if you asked the question or even have you answered the question. I said, have you ever gone into the vineyard? The better question is, are you, are you there right now?